Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, you live in a robot-free household, don't you? I mean, relatively. As far as I know. I mean, you probably have robots, more or less, in the form of many of your electronic implements, but you do not have an actual robot that, say, comes out and vacuums the floor. I do not have a Roomba. Um, I do not have a Plio. Okay. Or uh, or any of the other gadgets, I have okay. to say. I uh, I have a Roomba uh, that lives in uh, in our household, and it's uh, cur- uh, currently, unfortunately, uh, his battery is weird, so... He's, his, he's, his. Well, yeah, yeah I think okay. his, I, I kind of picture him as the, as the, the cat's brother. So they don't really see Biscuit's eye to eye. brother? Yeah. Does the Roomba have a name? Um, technically Maximilian because he's red. So I named him <laughs> after the red robot in black hole. But, um, but yeah, so it's, he's a, a part of the household, especially when he's moving around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I can't help but think of him throughout the research, uh, for this uh, particular podcast in which we talk about the idea of the robot household. Yeah, which, which living, like I say, living with robots. Yeah, which is already, like I say, a reality to a certain extent in my household mm-hmm. and will be a reality in your household. Just give it time. They will come. Well, right. I, think about this. In our golden age, uh, ages, um, you know, in our sunset years, probably all of us, all of you out there listening, will be uh, ensconced in some sort of robotic household. I mean, I'm not talking about like Rosie the robot or anything, but um, it's a... It's a Fairly likely that, you know, as the aging population comes to fruition, uh-huh. at least here in the United States, that we'll have some robot helpers. I was I was kind of hoping that when I'm in my, my golden years, I will be encased in a robot, like a big, like armored. Oh, you, know, you may like, be. And we'll talk about that. Oh, okay. All right. Like a yeah. power suit, like a RoboCop yeah. 2 kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And this could be kind of scary. I mean, could think about some wily senior citizens marauding the streets in their mm-hmm. exoskeletons. So, so why, why, why are we discussing the idea? Yeah, why like, are why you do we talking need, about this? Why, I mean, obviously, there's a robot in my house because they don't like vacuuming the floors. Mm-hmm. And the, if the robot can do it, that's great. Well, you can't talk about robots without talking about Japan, right? Right. Okay, because we already know that Japan has has uh, embraced robot technology, and certainly for, for many reasons, but one of them is because of their aging population. Right. Uh, the Japanese have some of the longest life expectancies, and with a large aging population, about 40,000 cent- centenarians, okay, about 40,000 people over the age of, or at 100 or over the age of 100. That's a lot. Um, and fewer children to take care of them due to the decline in post-World War II birth rates, Uh we have they have a serious problem. In fact, we're talking about the year 2055, about four out of every 10 Japanese will be classed as elderly. Hmm. And who's so, going to look after them? There aren't going to be as many young people around to help grandma across the street. Mm-hmm. So let's see if we can get a robot in there. Let, right. And, and not right. just help across the street, but just everyday stuff that, that uh, an elderly person might need help with. To what extent can we get a robot in there? To improve their quality of life mm-hmm. and uh, and and make life possible in some cases. Yeah, it's a very real solution. Yeah. Um, in addition, each month there are eight hundred and seventy thousand more people around the world who fall into the over uh, age sixty five group. So it's not just Japan, mm-hmm. uh, but certainly Japan is is a good lens to look through this. Um, they, now we do have some current technology 
that we're using. We've talked about this before. Cody, the sponge bath robot for the elderly. Oh, yes. And of course, you know, anytime someone says Cody, the sponge bath robot, you know, you can't help but laugh. Uh, but they're actually very helpful. They can open doors and drawers and cabinets using equilibrium point controllers. Um, there's the baby seal Paro. Super cute. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it moves its little head. It's a little baby seal. It's really helpful um, for Alzheimer's patients. Okay. It's like having, like you go to a, an, an old folks home and there will mm-hmm. be a dog or a cat that helps the uh, the individuals there, uh, you know, that can connect with it and all. Right. They bond with it. They right. begin to talk to it, tell it things uh, mm-hmm. that might otherwise be sort of locked up in their heads. Right. Right. Uh, it's also really effective for kids with autism mm-hmm. uh, because, and uh, actually a lot of robots and uh, machines, like even like the iPad mm-hmm. are really effective with kids with autism because it's a, uh, it's something they can predict, right? It's the same behavior over and over again. I wonder what Cody the SpongeBob, the Sponge, SpongeBob SquarePants. That's I, what I want to say. Yeah, I wonder what Cody looks like because I'm picturing a robotic cowboy that gives sponge baths, and it's like, "Hello, partner, can you lift your leg?" That kind of thing. That's so creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the badge and everything. I know. Now I'm thinking about the ten gallon hat and everything. Um, that's probably some other type of robot for some other fetish thing. Um, there's Taizo, the physical therapy bot mm-hmm. with 26 joints in its body. It's a, it's a mechanical exercise instructor. And and then robotic legs in the form of an exoskeleton. Oh, yeah. Okay. This really does exist. Uh, it's technology from Cyberdyne, and they're developing robotic legs that elderly or injured people can wear for physical therapy to regain muscle mass and help them to walk again. And terrorize the the, the city, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and terrorize all the whippersnappers out there. Yeah. It's already used in hospitals across Japan, of course, and it also monitors signals from the brain. And moves the robot's limbs as the wearer tries to move their own legs. Huh. So this is really good technology that's that's in place and is only going to be improved upon. Right. So, so it's just a question of when. Yeah, and and certainly if you you know you put robotics into your uh, your your Google News feed, you're you're just we're just constantly bombarded with these new technologies, these mm-hmm. new possibilities. But at the but at the end of the day, we have to think about all right. How are we going to live with these things? Yeah, let's talk about the practical yeah, aspects because, of this. Because we can develop, we can dream up ideas and we can develop the tech all day. But what's it going to be like to share a household with 18 different robots? Right. What, what, okay. Rosie the robot seems like an awesome idea, but you know, does she have her own little, uh, uh annoying behaviors? Well, she was pretty annoying on the TV show. Yeah. She's the one on the Jetsons, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is the voice, right? So, but this is a big question. Like, there's all these different things people have to get used to living with robots on a day to day basis. And of course, there is an entity who has, uh, come up with a way of how to measure that. And that entity is called Lyric, which stands for Living with Robots and Interactive Computers. And it's a European funded research project exploring how we'll live with digital and interactive companions. Um, they say throughout the project, we're exploring on how to design digital and interactive companions who can develop and read emotions and act cross platform. Sounds kind of doesn't exactly sound like very cuddly, like, now, hey, this is going to be the best roommate ever. Now, this is the idea that you might have several different mechanical forms that do tasks around the house. Right. But one mind, one AI, like one how that uh, that lives <laughs> in your house. And it'll be like, I it, hope it's not how. Well, you know, that's that's the the how kind of sums up the fear. How is kind of like this Frankenstein, mm-hmm. um, Frankenstein's monster creation that yeah that embodies so much about what we fear about AI. Mm-hmm. 
And as we'll discuss, I mean, that's a, a part of the concerns moving forward with the idea of sharing a house with a robot. Uh, can we trust it? Well, and I mean, they're not just looking at this as, okay, you got, you have a robot. It's probably going to last for a year. No, they're talking about long-term relationships here. Right. Okay, because you're probably going to be hanging out with that robot for, I don't know, 20 years. Yeah, it may be the longest relationship of your life. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, okay, so they came up with, uh, they, along with other partners, this, this thing called Five Weeks in the Robot House. Oh, yes. This is the um, University of uh, Hertfordshire, I believe. Yeah. The, um, yep. Adaptive Systems Research Group, School of Computer Science. Mm-hmm. This was a, a really fascinating study. Um because I, I'm, again, I couldn't help but but think of the Roomba that lives in my house, uh, with every example, and uh, and so so basically what they did, they set out to do like five different scenarios, right? Brought in people, non computer science people. Yeah, actually, I think it was university students and staff, right, members, and they were all to to hang out with these robots on a in the robot like, house in the robot house, yeah. not to be confused with the robot house. The uh, fraternity from Mars University in Futurama. Exactly. Yeah. That, not that one. And in fact, let me just read this little uh, uh, explanation about the paper that's published on this, because I really feel like it sounds like a great reality TV treatment. <laughs> it says this paper presents five exploratory trials investigating scenarios likely to occur when a personal robot shares a home with a person. <laughs> right. Doesn't that seem like the perfect sort of I think uh, would be great. pilot? Yeah, I, th- I think we could host it. Okay. Yeah, TLC. Right. Let's do it. All right, TLC. You heard that. But uh, so so let's look at the different scenarios. Um, the the uh, first one uh, that we have a write up here on is the hot and cold game trial, which is is basically the person is trying to guide the robot to mm-hmm. do something or find something in the house, and they're right. doing the whole. All right, you're a little bit hot. No, you're a little cold. Mm-hmm. You're a little hot. You're a little bit cold. But the the way that they were manipulating the test subjects in this uh, was that. Uh, they were uh, in some cases the, the the person's response of hot or cold don't actually uh, get the robot any closer. Like the right. idea here is not to get the robot to find it, but to frust potentially frustrate the person giving the robot instructions. Right, because this is going to happen, right? Right, and it should be added too that in all these uh, scenarios we're talking about in Robot House, uh, there's a there's a certain amount of um, uh, autonomy at play, but yeah. in some cases the um, the uh, people conducting the research. Uh, manipulated the robot because ultimately here the idea is not let's see how robots behave let's see how people behave in the presence of robots right so they they were manipulating the robots uh, via a, a remote control right they called it the Wizard of Oz method right which I kind of loved so there so again there was the hot and uh, cold game trial then there's the robot in the family trial and this is uh, all about space negotiate negotiation mm-hmm. the idea that all right you're trying to carry on normal stuff around the house what happens when you're say having a conversation? And a robot passes between you. What happens if you're uh, in, in an argument, maybe, and uh, the robot decides it needs to clean all the walls in the room at that point? Right, right. Like, how, how does that? How does it affect the the basic um, the, the basic feel of the home? How do, how are people going to react to it? Um, then there's the confidential information disclosure trial. And that one is, was my favorite. Yes. Now, this is the one where uh, I believe that uh, a human will take one of the test subjects mm-hmm. and they'll be walking around the house talking about ways to uh, to redecorate things. But they'll end up sort of slipping some personal information. Right. And then the robot will bring the personal information up. So, right. And, and I think, too, that the robot was manipulating the conversation to get more personal information about habits and health. Yeah. Okay. And then, yes. And then at, at certain predetermined points in, conver- in the conversation, the robot would interrupt the person 
Right. In, in order in, in, to in an awkward them. fashion. Like, yeah. yeah. The example they gave in the write up, um, the experimenter says, I always try to go to sleep early so I can get a good night's sleep. And then the robot says, Dag, the experimenter did not go to bed until three o'clock last night. And so, how awkward is yeah. that? Right. Cause you're like, shut up, robot. Yeah. Quit. You know, why are you, why are you sharing that information? Right. And they, they, of course they did this on, on purpose. They didn't want the robot to be malicious, but uh-huh. what they wanted to try to, it's almost like a little kid, right? A little kid sometimes doesn't know, uh, not to say something that is factually correct, uh-huh. but, you know, potentially insensitive to the person. Right. So this is going to happen when a, a robot stores data on you. And the, ro- the, the important thing here, too, is that a robot would ideally need to store that data yeah. if it's going to navigate not only the physical spaces of your home, right. but the... Um, but the spaces of your life, it needs to have some information about when you go to bed, when you're getting up, especially if it's, say, you, you don't want your robot doing uh, certain tasks while mm-hmm. you're awake or while you're in the house. Yeah, if you raid your refrigerator at 3 a.m., mm-hmm. you know, if you're DAG, uh, you want your robot not to come, you know, trouncing by. Right. So it can, and you end up coming into some of the same situations of privacy that we have with email and everything else electronic yeah. in our lives. Yeah. Um, this robot has all this data. Is that data safe? Could somebody hack my robot and find out when I'm home? Uh, could they you know, hack my robot and find out what uh, the idea that instantly comes to my mind is the idea of these different models of the, the Kindle mm-hmm. where you can pay and get this, you know, basically a, an electronic reader or you can pay a little less and get one that has ads on it. Mm-hmm. So I can easily imagine a future where someone <laughs> said, well, we can't quite afford the home robot that comes ad free. Right. So instead we have to endure the one that will uh, occasionally chime in with commercial pitches if it comes up in our conversation. That's very possible. I mean, think about the we did uh, the podcast called Raised by Machines, right? And mm-hmm. we talked about the little kids who are being watched at the Japanese retailer and the the robots there, very friendly looking, will take pictures of your children as they're playing, but will also beam advertisements yes. at your child. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you're right. To offset the cost, you might be willing to take some sort of robot that is constantly going to tell you about Stouffer's Pizza. Right. But in that, I mean, how different is that than, say, any children's network out there? I guess you know, it's just, I, yeah, I guess, it's, again, it's the, the storing of the data. Right. Hey, Stouffer's Pizza, they really love that pepperoni, you know, or I don't know. <laughs> I, do I care if, if Stouffer's knows that? Yeah. Probably not. But, again, it's the ability to mass all this information that's problematic. Right. Well, two, okay, two more uh, trials that they did in the robot yeah. house, uh, real quick. One was watching TV with the robot. And this is basically, you're trying to watch TV and the robot will come up and offer you drinks and mm-hmm. snacks and stuff, mm-hmm. which I think sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then there's helping the robot. And in this, the humans are engaged in some of their tasks and the robot is trying to get their attention mm-hmm. to, uh, because it needs to, a door opened for it. So in some cases, the robot's kind of just sort of being passive aggressive about it and kind yeah. of hinting at the fact that, hey, I wish somebody would open this door for me so I could go through. And then and in some of the cases, the robot actually comes up to the person and says, hey, can you get this door for me? Again, I was thinking about the Roomba. You know, the Roomba gets stuck or this is what I've heard. You know, it's very possible that a robot is trying to negotiate a corner and get stuck. So um, it's it's measuring to, to what extent a human is willing to 
help out a robot, not because it's being altruistic, but, you know, what sort of functionality does this robot have yeah. and how much are humans willing to put up with it? Right. And then it plays into the, the wider scope of the, the studies to just see how, like, people think about the robot, how they how they interact with the robot and what their attitude towards the robot in the house is. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the results of yes. all those five different studies. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get back to all this. Uh, so hang in there. One second. This podcast is brought to you by Intel, the sponsors of Tomorrow, and the Discovery Channel. At Intel, we believe curiosity is the spark which drives innovation. Join us at curiosity.com and explore the answers to life's questions. And we're back. First, the hot and cold game trial. The whole, you're hot, you're cold, I'm trying to get the robot to do something, but the robot is frustrating me Mm -hmm. by not following my instructions completely. And... uh, they found uh, two interesting patterns. One, participants assigned less credit to the robot and more to themselves. Yeah. And participants assigned more blame to the robot and less to themselves. So that's rather illuminating, I think, uh, about the, the idea that if the robot's doing good, it's it's on us. If it's doing right. bad, it's like, come on, technology, you're failing me. But I, but to me, I, that seemed right on target because haven't you when uh, whenever you've been beating on your keyboard mm-hmm. like you know uh, a jack and apes it, it's sort of like y- you're blaming the computer but it's always user error right right and you're like oh this thing or I'm, you know my phone drives me crazy but most of the time it's my my big thumbs that well, are able to, to navigate it yeah. well well, I think like even with I have the, giant thumbs. <laughs> well, like even with the Roomba in uh, in in our house, he has frustrated me in the past by refusing to 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 work properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at times I'll be like, "Oh, come on, Roomba, why won't you work? Why won't you vacuum the floor?" And it'll, and sometimes it'll come down to I I have there's a step I need to take cleaning you that I have not yeah known to take in the past, or I didn't uh, or or I haven't. Uh, known exactly to what extent. Like, I didn't know that occasionally you might need to take your Roomba out into the backyard and turn a leaf blower on it. But <laughs> uh, but uh, sometimes it works. So store that away. But but yeah, so it's it's easy to imagine this. Like, if you have this robot in your house, mm-hmm. are we just going to always be yelling at it? Is it just going to be this emotional punching bag? Well, it's very possible, right? Uh, what is the, the saying about uh, uh, familiarity breeds contempt? Yeah. Right? All right. So robot in the family trial. What did we learn with this? Okay, well, the participants didn't really actually mind the robots moving about so much, um, but they really appreciated the fact that robots would say, excuse me, <laughs> when negotiating space around them. So it always comes down to the the little niceties in life, don't you think? Yeah. Again, to the Roomba, I don't think I find it that annoying if the robot is in the room yeah. with me, or, or certainly if it if the robot bumps into me even, I'm not like going to freak out because I know it's just navigating the space. It's doing its job. Yeah. And if I really want to get upset about it, I can turn the Roomba off and vacuum my own floor, which is not going to happen. <laughs> All right. Now, the confidential information trial. Now, this is the one where people generally were very concerned. Uh Five participants rated themselves as feeling uncomfortable or very uncomfortable. Uh, five participants were uh, were neutral and mm-hmm. two were comfortable. But but enough red flags were raised here that people were like, I don't really like the robot bringing up personal stuff during my conversations right. or throwing my own words back at me. Right. And, and again, like to, uh, to your point earlier, they they knew the data needed to be stored about them. Yeah. But again, it was yeah, it was the throwing the, the information in their face. Um 
or being concerned about how it was going to be maintained, uh-huh. uh, you know, what sort of um, sensitive information and security measures were going to be taken, mm-hmm. uh, which would make sense, right? I mean, these are the conversations that we're having about cloud computing right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, you know, is my robot going to blackmail me? Yeah. That, I mean, it, that was my response. Yeah. I mean, we... It's it's a, a big fear. The whole basically the fear of the AI potentially turning against us. Right. There was an old sci-fi original picture, and if anybody knows the name of this, let me know because I could not find it searching around. But there was a film where they had like an, an automated system in the house, mm-hmm. and there was like a robot hand that travels around on this little runner uh, along the ceiling, like a disembodied robot hand. Well, no, like a Terminator mm-hmm. arm kind of thing that was attached to a, a a wheeled gadget that runs around on a like a trolley car attached okay. to the ceiling. And it eventually goes haywire and starts running around with a knife. But, uh, see, I knew that. I just knew it. That's yeah. like the, the, you know, the premise of any good horror story. Yeah, right? you bring a cannon on stage, you got to fire it, right? Yep. All right. So watching TV with the robot, that one did pretty well. People yeah. tended to not mind a robot offering you drinks and snacks during your well, favorite see, TV show. This is what I thought was so funny about it. They were like, okay, yeah. And like 58% of them thought the robot was making too much effort, but they were like, oh, but still, I, like the I was pretty well attended to, <laughs> you know? And then finally, uh, helping the robot trial. This one was interesting because um, it seems like people did not respond really well to the subtle hints no. that the robot was giving. And and even it, either they didn't notice that the robot needed help at mm-hmm. all, or they were like, I think the robot needs help, but I really don't know what I could do or if I'm supposed to help the robot. That's right. There are three responses. They they claim to either be unaware or they were aware, but they weren't quite sure, mm-hmm. um, as you just mentioned, or they thought that watching TV was more important. Oh, well, you know, if it's a really good show, I guess. Right. Yeah. But it reminded me of the bystander effect that we talked about uh-huh. um, and, and people's yeah. willingness. Like to, what? what is my appropriate response and could yeah. I even help? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it kind of it makes me think like, well, if there were a bunch of other people in the room, would they feel pressure to then go and help the robot as right. opposed to just sitting there going, you know what, it's a really good place in this movie right now. I'm not going to get up and help you out of that corner. Now, this is one that I feel like would be different in an actual home environment where the robot belonged to you or something, or yeah. it was you were more part of it because these were test subjects. So I could see them being like, I don't know if I'm supposed to help the robot. They didn't say anything about helping the robot. Right. You know, at the beginning of the test, they just told me to watch TV and eat snacks. <laughs> <laughs> and I could totally get a credit for it, man. Yeah. But, um, more snacks, please. <laughs> well, one of the, uh, the overall findings that came out of that one too, though, was the, the, they because they end up making various arguments about what we need to think about going forward with the with the future mm-hmm. of the robot house. Yeah, and they said that you need to have clear signals. If the robot needs help, you need there no beating around the bush. The robot needs to let you know. Mm-hmm. And that's something I feel that the Roomba uh, robot. And this, I hope this doesn't sound like too much like an advertisement for the Roomba, but it's the only robot that lives in no, my house. No, you clearly have a relationship with your Roomba. Yeah, and I'm convinced that when you like your Roomba, you call it Max, but when it's in trouble, you call it Maximilian. <laughs> Is this true? Well, yeah, if I'm talking to it and giving it a hard time. Okay. But, um, but, but the, the thing about the design, and this is an older model that we have. So I, f- I feel like the, the makers were already on top of this a little. Like mm-hmm. it has definite little sing song beeps that it gives yeah. for c- different circumstances. And I'm not well versed enough in its language to know necessarily which, what, what it's saying with each one of them. But mm-hmm. there are, there are definite sounds that it makes when it makes, make when it's stuck, mm-hmm. that it'll make when it's, uh, when it's running low on battery or, or when it's finished. It does like this little victory song and all. So I feel like it is already pretty clear about when it needs my help. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, I think, it, again, it just sort of brings up uh, how complicated uh, communication is, uh-huh. uh, you know, even just among humans, than to have a, a machine trying to communicate with us and living with all those little different nuances that we take for granted, uh, those, um, you know, nonverbal signals that right. we give each other that helps us to negotiate the world. Or certain social norms. Like one thing that came up was the whole passing between two people while they're having a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's something that people generally don't do just on principle. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you absolutely have to cross between two people having a conversation, you just don't do it because it's rude. But the robots in these studies didn't have any problem with that. The people, of course, did. And so yeah. that's something you would have to think about, like the robot keeping a safe a, a reasonable, polite distance from people during certain parts of one's life. Yeah. And this would spill over to, like, the robot being able to realize if there is, say, a, a heated argument going on mm-hmm. and knowing that that is maybe not the best time to decorate the walls. Or, or uh, deliver some personal data. Right. Yeah, not to throw any facts back at you or remind you about things while mm-hmm. you're, uh, say, in, you know, in an emotional state. Mm-hmm. Or if you've just woken up and you're clearly... Or if you're, you know, you're in a grumpy mood, maybe it knows not to mess with you, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And there's so many nuances that we would need to navigate in, in addition to navigating the space. And that's the other thing, navigating the space and navigating these moving people in a way that's safe. Mm-hmm. Like, like we have a rule in our household that the, well, I guess the rule is the room, but doesn't go in the kitchen either. But the cat doesn't go in the kitchen, be, not so much because the cat's going to jump on anything, but it's a dangerous place to have an animal underfoot. Because you could potentially injure the animal and or yourself. You're mm-hmm. carrying th- uh, plates. You're carrying hot dishes. You're you're carrying knives. It's just not a safe environment for uh, an animal to be walking around your feet. Mm-hmm. Likewise, you would need to take these concerns into into mind when figuring out how a robot navigates a household. Yeah, robot should not go into the utility room. Yeah, right. No, no axes. Uh, no, no riding lawnmowers. Right. Definitely don't see robot. Well, you know, actually, robot lawnmowers. You could yeah, do that. You could create a little that. algorithm of a. Yeah. But maybe that robot stays outside. Well, one of the studies that uh, that you sent me, it um, it mentioned how the, the possibility of having the, the the one robot mind that uses different bodies in the house, about the idea that it would be it would be synced with the uh, with, with the electrical grid for the apartment or house, mm-hmm. so it would be able to tell when certain appliances or objects were being used, mm-hmm. and therefore know like where you were. Or in other cases, they'd be able to like know where your footfalls are happening in the house. Just keeping track of where right. the person is at all times and to know. And, and also you can imagine this being uh, implemented into larger data to know that, well, they never go in the basement during the day. So if I'm mm-hmm. going to do something annoying in the basement, that's the time. Right. And they could also use that information to punk you while you're yeah. in the bathroom and turn off all the lights. The robot house study, the, one of their big findings, though, was that their findings suggested a, quote, negative relationship between robot autonomy and human responsibility when both are working on a collaborating task, which I yeah. I found, uh, again, kind of telling about us. And, uh, and you know, and, and it just brings like how to what extent can we avoid that? Like, are, again, are robots just going to be punching bags in our houses? Are we going to just yell at them? Are they going to be our our abused servants? I mean, I honestly can see some sort of literature coming out mm-hmm. uh, or psychological studies about how to best deal with AI to, and cooperate with it, with the, with the uh, end goal being that the better information you give your robot, the better you cooperate, the, mm-hmm. the better service it's going to provide you. I know that sounds weird, but I think that this is the sort of things that we're going to see in the future uh, because it's going to become so important to our day-to-day lives, especially if you're a senior citizen just trying to to live, uh, especially if you're a senior citizen in Japan, mm-hmm. right? And, and you're just trying to get a meal together. Um, 
you don't want to be really fighting with your robot. Right. Fighting in air quotes, I suppose. Yeah. And, and to what extent, too, then if someone is abusive towards their robot, is to what extent is that a, a, a real red flag about that individual? And maybe there needs to be some sort of uh, intervention. I uh, know there's, you know? I'm telling you, like AI psychology, new field. Yeah. If it doesn't and, already and exist, actually. Yeah. Um, to a, I guess it's at least, uh, emerging. Well, I mean, know? it's certainly being used to try to, um, to program machines and, mm-hmm. uh, but in terms of how we are, uh, dealing with robots on right. a psychological basis and how we can better deal with them, I don't think that it's in full force. Yeah. And, and it, at what point do they have rights? At what point does a significantly advanced AI have some sort of human rights uh, for itself? But no, I mean that's yeah. a, that's an interesting proposition. I mean that that's not we've talked it, about animal rights yeah. before, right? So you know it's always hard to get outside of our human psyche, and to you know it's easy to anthropomorphize something when we think they're cute. Or they're dangerous, but you know, outside of that, it's kind of hard to say. Oh, well, that has rights, or should oh, it have rights because it's not us? That was another uh, aspect of the study, the robot house study. They had the four different models they had people look at. Remember? Yeah. Um, two had heads, two didn't. They had the mechanoid versions, which just looked like clunky machines that yeah. rolled around your house, and then they had two versions that had hands and arms. Uh, and this, so they were also gauging like which which model do people prefer? Do they want something that looks just like a you know, a piece of equipment rolling around the house, or do they want the person? Yeah. yeah, which brings up the whole Uncanny Valley theory, which we'll talk about in a different podcast sometime soon here, but all sorts of issues that pop up. So, hey, let's uh, pull something from the mailbag, why don't we? All righty. Uh, this one comes to us from John. John writes in and says, Hi, Robert, Julie, and Matt. Hey, check that out, Matt. you got to mention. Uh, I enjoy your podcast and am pleasantly surprised at your ability to take any topic and captivate my attention. As you dive into the topics and discuss the science behind them, I cannot help but let my mind wander as well. In listening to the podcast on Frankenstein's Monster and other references of the Blue Brain Project, I cannot help but wonder, will it ever be possible to create a man that is our caliber of reasoning and understanding? As we dive into the mysteries of God and unravel the complexity of the human, are we not enlightened and so influenced in an ever-changing light? Will our understanding of ourselves mirror our true consciousness, or will the knowledge we gain influence our evolution to deeper, more introspective self? Every great discovery has in time changed our view of the world and likewise changed our thinking. Therefore, can we truly understand the mind, or will its ever-changing nature adapt to the new understandings we find and continue to work in complex, perhaps altering uh, our the physical connections and thus connecting the physical properties of the knowledge that we hold and thus keeping the brain and mind transfixed in a world seen uh, but not touched or understood. Just some food for thought. Your fan, John. Wow. I I really like that because it made me think a lot about how we've talked about when the fictions of our realities fall away. Sometimes we're Mm -hmm. we're frightened of that because we feel like there's no mystery left. And and he is, in fact, I think, uh, suggesting that there's the the possibility for deeper introspection and maybe even other mysteries. Indeed. And and this is exactly the kind of, like, fan mail I like to to get because I feel like a a lot of what we do is, like, we throw out some really cool ideas, some really cool um, research into various topics, and then just sort of throw, hopefully, throw open the barn doors for uh, everyone to, to sort of go out and think even even farther about it. And well, to, yeah, yeah, and it's great to hear that, yeah. that someone's been percolating on that in their ideas. Yeah. It fires me up. Indeed. 
So thanks, John. And I'm glad to hear that uh, some of our podcasts have got your, your, your got your brain moving there. So if you would like to share anything with us, and in particular, I'm interested to hear from other people who have robots in, the, in their household, mm-hmm. um, even, even far more advanced uh, robotic households or workplaces uh, uh, than my own, uh, how do you interact with the robot? How do you feel about the robot as a part of your life? And 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 also along these five different tests that uh, we studied uh, in this podcast, how do, how do how does your experience line up with with their findings? You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we're below the mind on both of those, and uh, you know you can you can share stuff there or. Or you can always uh, drop us a line. Let us know the name uh, you have given to your Roomba by sending us an email at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Tomorrow.